I'll tell you about a breakthrough moment that I had after I left Toyota after 17 years. The day I left, it was a Friday. I flew out to the West Coast that Sunday, prepared to start my new job at Tesla on Monday. So there was no break in between. Oh, man. After a brief orientation at Tesla, I, I ran upstairs to join the manufacturing team. And, it, and it's hard to imagine now, but there were, there were just five of us on that team. And we didn't even have a factory yet. So you can imagine how excited and anxious I, I was to start. Well, at Toyota, we always had an operation plan to work from. The operation plan included three years worth of planning prior to any new model launch with project plans that hung in the pilot war room from the ceiling to the floor throughout the entire room. It, it looked like wallpaper. <laughs> so having just left Toyota a few days earlier, I expected the same, right? I showed up at Tesla and I, I asked the team, can you share the operation plan? I want to start putting my name next to some of the tasks. Okay. They looked at me and they laughed. And when they were finished laughing, they, they handed me a blank piece of paper. And this just excited me even more. And, and I didn't realize it at the time, but this was a breakthrough moment. Being able to apply lessons learned over my entire career to create something from scratch. So, so how was this a breakthrough moment? Well, it gave me confidence to create new procedures, launch new initiatives. And I've made it a practice to think about this blank piece of paper whenever I'm inheriting a new team, a new process, or building a new team or a new process. It's really something anybody can do. If you could rewrite the processes and procedures at your job to make things easier and more productive for everyone, or restructure the organization in a way that you could better leverage each other's skill sets and work together more cohesively, what would that look like? And What's stopping you from, from grabbing that blank piece of paper? Hello and welcome to Inside Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. This show is all about insights and explores how transformational moments of awakening have helped propel the lives and careers of exceptionally successful people. These major breakthroughs teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. Today's guest is Keith Champion, a 27-year automotive veteran who's worked for Tesla, Toyota, and now Lucid Motors. Keith impressed me so much at Tesla, where he oversaw quality and central manufacturing operations because he asked thoughtful questions to better understand the problems we were trying to solve. I was so excited when he said yes to this interview. And I don't even know where to begin to describe this episode because it's so chocked full of valuable insights and amazing stories from Keith's career. We discuss the principles of lean manufacturing, the brainchild of Toyota that's since become industry standard. Keith describes how he took to heart the core value of Kaizen, which means continuous improvement. Early in his career when he made a process improvement while working on the front lines. He tells the story of his first day at Tesla, even before the factory existed and how that experience stayed with him and helped him to develop what he calls the blank page approach to problem solving. We learned the biggest insight he took from Elon Musk, why he believes done is better than perfect, and what his boss means when he says, give me something to hate. Keith is a lifelong learner and it shows. This is a fascinating interview and I'm so excited to share it with you on this episode of Inside Out.
Keith Champion, welcome to Inside Out. Thanks, Billy. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled, man. I can't tell you the impression that you made on me from our days at Tesla. From day one, you really impressed me because you have this calm nature about you and you ask such thoughtful questions. You're the type of person that isn't going to to shoot ready aim. You're the type of person that's going to ask really quality questions about whatever it is that we're doing so that you could understand. And that impressed me from our first encounter. And then as we got a chance to meet each other even more, what I became really clear on is that you are somebody that draws upon your unique experience in the automotive industry and especially some of the experiences that you've had at Toyota, some of the experiences that you've had at Tesla. And so we're going to get into all of that. But before we do, I would love to hear your story. For those that don't know you and don't know your background, would love to go down that memory lane and just go back as far as you want, even into childhood and kind of just share where you came from and and what you've done. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. I lived in Kentucky for about 18 years, and I've been living in California for the past 10 years or so. A little bit about me when I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn. I remember spending a lot of time listening to music, mostly Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Pink Floyd. Those were my go-tos. And just hanging out with friends from the neighborhood in school. I also remember my dad working as many as three jobs at a time to provide for me, my mom, and my two sisters. I don't remember him sleeping very much or taking a day off. So after high school, I decided that I really wanted it. What I really wanted to do was start and manage my own business so I can I can help out. I can help out my dad and my family. I wound up putting my education on hold to open a small restaurant in the neighborhood, which was a, a lot more work than I bargained for. It was uh, very long hours. So I later, I sold the restaurant. I started a, a desktop publishing company. My dad was a printer. So with his guidance, I started this company and published educational materials for schools with publications that were designed to help kids make the right life decisions by teaching them about the consequences of substance abuse. And it was during a business trip uh, to Kentucky in the early 90s that really on a whim, I applied for a job at Toyota Motor Manufacturing in Georgetown, Kentucky. I had heard about their way of running production, this, this Toyota production system you know, that, that everybody knows about today. And everything about it intrigued me. Well, I got hired somehow and started on the front line as a production team member, learning all about the Toyota production system and lean manufacturing, and eventually working my way up and landing into leading a pilot team to help launch new Toyota models and new manufacturing lines. In 2010, a company named Tesla reached out to me looking for someone to help build a new factory on the West Coast and launch an electric car, the Model S. After Googling Tesla, because listen, let's face it, you know, few people even knew who they were back then, including me. My wife and I decided to do something insane, leave everything behind, move to California and take a chance with this EV startup. Everyone thought we would fail. Our vendors, suppliers, integrators, really, really everyone I talked to, except for our small Tesla team, we were determined to change the world the rest is history. We grew unbelievably fast from from just this handful of people to about 45,000 people across the globe, all in in less than 10 years. I left Tesla in 2019 and joined an amazing company, Lucid Motors. 
where I head up operational excellence, which includes leading the learning and development team, implementing Lean, working with the leadership team to create the Lucid production system, and supporting the building of the Lucid Air Electric Vehicles, as well as our new factory in Arizona. That is pretty much my story. Wow. Love the story. And man, I got chills throughout it. And especially when you talked about you got this call from Tesla and you made this bold move to take a shot on a startup that at the time, as you pointed out, it wasn't the household name that it is today. And boy, I can tell you the reputation you built at Tesla was absolutely stellar. And the through line that I hear throughout your career is that you've always found yourself in an area of how do you make sure that the company and the manufacturing of the product is done with quality, that it's done efficiently, and that it uses the lean practice to make sure that the it's done cheaper, better, and faster, right? So the entire through line of what you're doing, which is you're helping integrate this methodology, this practice throughout all of the companies that you've been a part of, is something that I want to unpack and dive into. Before we do, let's let's just get broad here. This show is all about insights. It's all about those moments of life discovery that all of a sudden something clicks, something connects, and you have this aha moment. Curious, as you look back on your life, what insight or insights stand out that have been monumental in importance? One of the most significant, pivotal moments in my career was actually during my time as a production team member at Toyota. I was just a few weeks into my job, uh, Billy, and I I was experiencing a lot of pain from being on my feet all day. You know, I would drive home and and, and I swear I could actually hear my feet screaming. Seriously, if pain could make a noise, I I could hear it. (laughs) Oh, man. And I remember my supervisor uh, coming around and and he was asking me, you know, how are you doing? I asked him if it would be possible to rearrange the process a little bit, making it easier. And I saw the stand that we can move a little bit closer to to the car. So I had to walk back and forth between the stand and this car. And it would help eliminate several steps pretty much every cycle. He stepped back. He looked around. He he got on his radio and he called for a maintenance technician to help move the stand right right then and there on the spot. They unbolted it from the floor, repositioned it right in the spot and and anchored it back down. Well, you know, I was relieved. It it saved a few steps for me every cycle. and, And that was great for me. But when we were taking a break, I, I heard someone in the break room say, hey, who rearranged the, the workstation? And, you know, my immediate thought was they, they were going to be mad at me for moving things around. But, <laughs> but they, they were asking because they, they loved it and asking around. The, the whole team really seemed to love it. And we wound up making the same change to, to some of the other workstations. Hearing that other people were helped by this simple change made me want to really dedicate my career to helping people. At Toyota, there were a lot of opportunities to get involved in in different things. I became the safety task force chairman. I joined the diversity committee. I took a lead role in the quality circle promotion committee. And as a result, I advanced to a team lead position, which allowed me to support an entire team of people. And then into a supervisor role later on, where now I could help a whole group of teams. And after Toyota, when, when, when joining Tesla, I felt as if we were supporting the entire planet uh, by revolutionizing the automotive industry and building electric cars. And I'm very fortunate because I feel at Lucid, I, I can continue that mission. And, I, you know, I feel as if it all started as a result of the satisfaction I felt after making a few people's lives a little bit better with that simple process improvement. I believe 
that experience helped shape who I am today. Always looking for better ways to do things and to try to help improve people's lives in whatever small way. You know, when you first talked about the fact that you, on a whim, applied for Toyota, who would have thought that this is the way that your career would flourish and the tra- trajectory that your career has taken as a result of you wanting to make a, a process improvement and make yourself more comfortable, prevent your, your legs from yelling at you on the way home. <laughs> this whole concept of Kaizen, right? Continuous and constant improvement that I know is absolutely integral in the, in the Toyota production system. It's everywhere. It's omnipresent. And it seems to me from, at least from my outside view that you took that to heart and you applied it immediately in your own sphere to start but now you've had an opportunity to continue to apply it at Toyota and then take that to Tesla and now take it to Lucid. Curious, what other breakthrough moments you've had in your career that you feel have played a part in your success? Because I love the fact that as I think about you, you have had this continuous place with all of these companies helping to gain awareness in these principles. I'll tell you about a breakthrough moment that I had after I left Toyota after 17 years I, the day I left, it was a Friday. I flew out to the West Coast that, that Sunday, prepared to start my new job at Tesla on Monday. So there, there was no break in between. Oh, man. After a, a brief orientation at Tesla, I, I ran upstairs to join the manufacturing team. And, it, and it's hard to imagine now, but there were, there were just five of us on that team. And we didn't even have a factory yet. So you can imagine how excited and anxious I, I was to start. Well, at, at Toyota, we always had an operation plan to work from. The operation plan included three years worth of planning prior to any new model launch with project plans that hung in the pilot war room from the ceiling to the floor throughout the entire room. It it looked like wallpaper. (laughs) So having just left Toyota a few days earlier, I expected the same, right? I showed up at Tesla and I I asked the team, can you share the operation plan? I want to start putting my name next to some of the tasks. Okay. They looked at me and they laughed and when they were finished laughing, they, they handed me a blank piece of paper. And this just excited me even more. And, and I didn't realize it at the time, but this was a breakthrough moment. Being able to apply lessons learned over my entire career to create something from scratch. So, so how was this a breakthrough moment? Well, it gave me confidence uh, to create new procedures, launch new initiatives. And I've made it a practice to think about this blank piece of paper Whenever I'm inheriting a new team, a new process, or building a new team or a new process, it's really something anybody can do. If you could rewrite the processes and procedures at your job to make things easier and more productive for everyone, or restructure the organization in a way that you could better leverage each other's skill sets and work together more cohesively, what would that look like? And what's stopping you from from grabbing that blank piece of paper? Oh, man. That is powerful. And I love that you're drawing that that moment and recognizing that that was an insight in and of itself. That was that significantly important moment in your life that you've since applied that to other situations. Even if if, if it wasn't a literal blank piece of paper, how can you think about things from that perspective from that line of thinking. And I think, you know, we, we know, you know, you and I know about first principles thinking, having worked at Tesla and looking at things, not by reasoning from analogies, 
but rather looking at things from the ground up and thinking about things from, you know, what are, what are our limitations based on the law of physics, not necessarily looking at what already exists and, and then incrementally improving from there. You know, we may need to start from the ground up. And clearly when you got to Tesla, it was very much that way. You had no other choice but to start from the ground up. You mentioned that you drew a lot from your learnings at Toyota. I'm curious, maybe you could encapsulate some of those most critical learnings that you had or insights that you had while at Tesla. I mean, 17 years is a lifetime. It's rare to hear that somebody works at a company for that long, right? 50 years ago, it was common. People had long 20, 30, 40 year careers at one company, but 17 years nowadays is a lifetime. So curious, what are the major insights? You shared one obviously was when you made that early change and you got the people to support those changes. What other insights stand out from your time at Toyota? Toyota was my introduction to lean manufacturing. So I can easily share, you know, a ton of insights about lean principles and and maybe we'll have a chance to talk about some of those. But believe it or not, the, the biggest standout for me was recognizing the importance of lifelong learning. It was while I was working full-time at Toyota that I decided to go back to school. I mentioned earlier on that I, I had put my education on hold to help support my family. But now I had a son and I wanted to set a good example. I wanted to continue to grow both personally and professionally as well. And going back to school, I do believe this inspired my son. He he graduated from college last year. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. And it, and it did help me a lot in my career, both by being able to apply the business management principles I was learning uh, in real time to help improve you know the company's performance, but also in developing this appreciation for learning in general. You know, I, I advise everyone to never stop learning. I'm very passionate about this and even went so far as to take the manufacturing, learning and development organizations under my umbrella. I've done that both at, at Tesla and I continue to do that today at Lucid. One of the mantras that, that you know, I, I've repeated many times in my career to, to large audiences is to learn one new thing every day. Mm. Actually, there's, there's three parts to this. It's learn one new thing every day. And it has to be a conscious decision you make. Otherwise, you'll just find yourself going through your daily routine. The second part is to teach someone something every day. There are so many opportunities to share your knowledge each and every day. But, but again, I, I feel like it needs to be a conscious effort to do that. And finally, the third thing, do one thing to make something better every day. No matter how small it is, improve a process. I don't know, clean a common area at work. Just, just one small improvement every day. And what, what I like people to do is to take a, take a step back and just think about that for a minute. What, what does that look like if, I, if I'm doing these three things every day? You know, what does it look like after just a, a week or a month? And how about years? Years of doing this and, and anybody can do it. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned those three things because I often think when I pick my son up from school and I ask him what he learned and he can't answer and I, and I, <laughs> I have to pull it out of him and force him to recall what he learned, what stands out to me is that it's a consciousness. We all we are learning on a daily basis. I, I think just by virtue of life, but I think it's rare that we consciously think about what we've learned or, con- or, or consciously seek out a specific component of learning. So I think bringing it more to the conscious mind as opposed to it just occurring is important. So learn something every day, right? Teach something every day. And what I love about that is that when you teach something, it solidifies what you've learned. It solidifies what you know. When you're able to teach something, you become a far better learner because you understand what it takes to 
to take a message and transfer that knowledge to somebody else. And it also restructures and reforms your own belief system about what you already know. The best teachers are often the best learners. And the last thing, you know, always striving to improve something. What I think about with all three of these things, you talk about what happens over a week, what happens over a month or a year, it's the compound effect. You do this enough. And if it's on your mind in a conscious way, you're able to see incredible results because of the compounding effect. I love that. So let's talk about lean and and the principles of lean manufacturing, because I'm sure some people listening have heard of this, but they don't know exactly what it is, right? So there's five key principles, you know, identify value, map the value stream, create flow, establish pull and seek perfection. Those are words to me, honestly, like I've, I've, I've done my best to understand as much as I can, but I haven't heard from you, an expert, what those really mean. I wonder if you could give us a flavor of these principles and how they're applied in the setting of a, of a plant and a place where goods and products are manufactured. The principles of, of lean manufacturing have grown well beyond manufacturing. I, I believe all industries today have, have benefited by applying lean principles. You'll, you'll see it being applied in healthcare and education, government agencies, even the military, you know, have incorporated lean in any industry you can think of. One of the main principles of lean is waste elimination. You know, you think lean, you think waste. It's the, it is the primary focus of lean. So it makes sense that other industries are, are adopting lean. You can find waste anywhere, you know, using some of the tools you talked about and eliminating as much waste as possible has a lot of benefits. Uh, you know, it can save time, effort, uh, ultimately saving money, but really, you know, it creates better value for your customers. So yeah, I would encourage anybody to learn more about lean, incorporate it into your business. Lean manufacturing also includes very specific ways of running production operations. So in a manufacturing environment, you'll learn about things like just in time, one piece flow, leveled production, Another principle of lean is this this concept of built-in quality, which includes you know mistake-proofing your process, and if a mistake does happen, you know having automatic error detection so you can protect the the quality of your product for your customer. But on the non-technical side of lean, there, there's there are other principles like respect for people and continuous improvement, and I think we talked a little bit about that. Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. And, you know, it's sometimes there's a certain effect that being still in one place can have because you have no choice but to be very observant. And I think so often we're so busy. We live in a world where things are moving a mile a minute. We're distracted at like the smallest thing and we don't take time to just be slow. And sometimes being slow means being still and being present and being observant of everything that's happening around you. One of the things that I learned in doing a bit of research and prepping for our conversation today was just learning about the history of how this all came to be with Toyota and a company that started in 1937. And, you know, really the 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 interesting part about it is Japan was a, a resource deprived nation. And so after World War II, it was even worse and they didn't have all the things they needed. And so it wasn't until a, a trip that I believe as a son of Toyota went to America and he saw how they were operating at Ford and more importantly saw they were operating, I think at a piggly wiggly is, is what I heard. And they, they just, they, it gave them some insights, not necessarily that they were doing it the right way, but that they could draw upon those, what they were observing and make some critical changes. And one of those critical changes that they saw the Ford doing that they changed was 
you know, when a car would go through the assembly line, if there was a mistake made, it would just keep going and they would fix the problem after the fact. Very, very, very important distinction from what Toyota decided to do, which is if there's a problem, they would put a, a cord where they would pull that cord and it would basically stop the production line. Everyone would come and see what the problem was and then they would come up with an immediate solution to rectify that. I think this is common practice now when we think of manufacturing, but at the time, this was revolutionary. I'm curious, one, did you see firsthand this notion of, of, of constantly improving, but also this notion of trying to identify the problem immediately and, and resolving it right away? And, and by the way, all of this is derived from my own sort of remedial understanding. And please give me your own personal experience, which I'm sure is far more <laughs> important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, and it's, uh, it's so true. And I think, uh, you know, it, it, really revolutionized the industry to this, this whole concept of, you know, stopping the production line when there's a problem. And I remember the, the first time I, I stopped the line uh, oh my <laughs> at Toyota. Was it a, was your heart beating? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, there, there are other companies where no matter what, you don't, you don't stop the line, you keep you running. Don't stop, right. right. Um, but it was, it was actually, you know, the, the, there's somebody that responds, you know, they, they show up and not to yell at you, but to understand the situation and, and, and to help you. And, involve you in finding the solution and implementing the solution to to the problem and you know when when we talk about all of the lean principles and i, and I, I was talking about you know th there are there's the waste elimination and how to set up your manufacturing line so that you know you're operating just in time with one piece flow but that non-technical side that the continuous improvement aspect is really the one that's most meaningful to me. And it seems like with every, you know, they call it an and-on, every, every and-on stop. Every time you, you know, you, you pull the cord or press a button to stop the line, it's an opportunity to problem solve. And the problem solving methodologies that, that Toyota uses, you know, have also been incorporated in, in many different industries, this, this structured way of going through to a, a problem to really understand it, to dive in and, and find the root cause of the problem. And then come up with solutions uh, that are going to solve the problem and, and be permanent, standardized, so that you, you don't have recurrence of, of the issue. Yeah, and it seems like if you do that enough, you're going to create, I mean, it, it slows you down on the, on the short term, but it, it creates a better quality, more efficiency, and it speeds you up on the long term. Because if you have fewer of the same errors repeated, you're no longer having to fix the same mistake over and over again. So what you're creating is a a line, a manufacturing structure that has fewer errors and better efficiency and ultimately produces a higher quality product. And it shows in the vehicles. I mean, let's face it. I don't think, I think you're going to be hard pressed to find an automaker that has the incredible reputation for consistency and quality that Toyota does because you know what you're getting when you buy a Toyota. Absolutely. You know, maybe just to elaborate a little bit more on this, you know, this, this principle of continuous improvement, because that, that, you know, I'd have to say of, of the lean principles, the, the, it, it is the one that's most, most meaningful to me. Um, you know, this thought of, of knowing that good enough is never good enough. And most importantly, you know, having the entire workforce focused on continuous improvement. I think um, as leaders, we, we understand that creating and nurturing this type of culture has enormous benefits, like, like you talked about. Um, by engaging and empowering your people, they can showcase their abilities, which leads to, a, you know, not just all these, these other benefits to the, to the company, but it leads to a, a high level of job satisfaction. People just enjoy making a positive impact. During continuous improvement training, 
I, I always like to ask people in the audience if they've ever worked for a company or a boss that didn't listen to their ideas or, or didn't engage them. And of course, there's always, you know, at least one person who at some point in their career, you know, has been in that situation. So they'll raise their hand and they'll share their experience. The follow-up question, Billy, is so, so how did that make you feel? Mm. People feel, uh, they feel like they're not valued. They feel unappreciated, like they, they don't matter. And typically in those situations, they'll, they'll do the bare minimum. That's why I work hard to make sure that people feel valued, um, provide them with opportunities, not just to make suggestions on how we can do things better, but to actually implement their solutions. And, you know, the benefits to the company, again, I, I feel like they're really secondary to the engagement of the team, this high level of uh, morale that you achieve with a, a culture of continuous improvement. Yeah, I mean, and you're, and you're a testament to that, right? Early in your career, you, you firsthand experienced what it's like to help make a process improvement. And not only because it helped you personally, but because it helped those around you, your peers. And it was, a, I'm sure, a very gratifying feeling to have a role in that. In a minute, we're going to get into Tesla. Before we do, I want to talk about one more concept from the principles of lean manufacturing. And that is this principle of seeking perfection, striving for perfection. Over the last week, I feel intimately close to the term perfection and perfectionism uh, because I've, I've actually made a few videos on this topic. And so I'm curious what that means to you or what your personal experience I, I feel like there's definitely a tie-in between this constant improvement and the striving for perfection. Are they one and the same? Are there nuances that are different? And what have you seen in terms of your own experience at Toyota and, and even since where you look at people and ways in which people have been striving for perfection? It's actually a topic I've addressed many times in my career. We, we've all seen projects become stalled delayed or simply never come to fruition because of attempts to make them perfect during their development phase. I believe the best strategy, you know, to avoid that from happening is to plan an evolutionary process. You, you may have heard the expression done is better than perfect. Mm. So it must start with getting something done. If you have a team of stakeholders, give them something to hate. That's another phrase. That's a phrase my boss. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's a phrase my boss uses when he wants to see a draft of where we're going. Give me something to hate, um, which sets the expectation that it, it won't be perfect. We don't expect it. We don't expect it to be perfect to, to start as a leader. Let your people know that it's okay to make mistakes or to be less than perfect. Then incorporate feedback from your stakeholders, your decision makers, your subject matter experts, the, the users of, of whatever product or, or process you're implementing so that you can evolve. Be careful not to include too many people early on. I, just, I, I like to warn people of this because trying to solicit and incorporate too much input from a large team can, can delay a project even more. But when you have your, your stakeholders and your subject matter experts, start by giving people something to hate. Finally, continue Continue to evolve. Always look for that way to improve something that can only be done after you've, you've actually done something. Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. It's an evolutionary process where I had a guest on that talked about versions, right? We're creating versions. And that first version may, have a, may not just have one reason to hate, may have multiple reasons to hate or dislike it. But you're going to put it out there because done is better than perfect. You could continue to make incremental improvements vis-a-vis -vis through your, your feedback mechanism and, and gathering insights from, you know, as you said, a small group to start, especially early stages. And as 
whatever it is you're working on evolves and get, gets better and better, it's improving throughout that journey. And I think that's really smart. You are perhaps seeking perfection, but you're never aiming to be perfect. You're never aiming to have that product be perfect, especially in the beginning, right? That's, that's the time to get something out and to start to see what's working and what's not working. So let's, let's talk about Tesla. You know, you and I obviously got a chance to get to know each other there. I didn't start as early as you. I started when Solar City was acquired by Tesla. And in, in, in that transition, I went from, you know, obviously being a Solar City employee to being a Tesla employee, which at the time was an amazing experience to be a part of such a just a historic company. And so you played a role in the early stages. As you said, you were part of a team of five, didn't even have the factory at that time, or you know, the manufacturing wasn't happening. Let, let's talk about that because I'm sure a lot of the listeners are intrigued by your experience there. Uh, I wonder what insights stand out from your time at Tesla. You know, I mentioned earlier that in the beginning, nearly everyone thought we would fail. The odds were, were obviously you know, stacked against us. While the technology was revolutionary, you know, few few people thought electric cars would take off, and even fewer thought, you know, that Tesla would be the catalyst for it. But we were successful, very much so, and more than I think anybody could have imagined at the time. And I truly believe that it was the people that made it happen. So the insight that I gained is, you know, just how important it is to have a fully engaged team, people that are completely dedicated to the mission. Had people been, uh, you know, discouraged by listening to the haters, uh, we we definitely we would have failed. Yeah. Together, we learned that there's no such thing as impossible. Mm. We had some amazing leaders that understood how to keep the team motivated. So I got to see firsthand the importance of strong leadership. We always talk about you know developing our leadership, you know, advancing to this next level of leadership. But when when you see firsthand just how impactful that can be. What I saw was great communication with frequent huddles to inform and inspire the team. I saw empowerment so that people could make improvements to their process. And although, you know, we had to work very hard for extremely long hours, uh, there was a genuine concern for the team members and the leadership team uh, worked, you know, just as long or or longer than, than the team members. Yeah. And you talk about people and the importance. And I love hearing that because I resonate with that statement. Like you don't even know. I mean, I'm all about people and I know that the power of people make it so that really things that might appear impossible are possible. And no one believes in that more than Elon. I mean, he's sort of synonymous with just anything is possible. Curious if you had any specific moments or times where he did or said something that inspired you or you heard of something that he did to allow the team to begin to actually believe that things that were previously thought impossible were now possible. Because again, you're right. Everyone thought Tesla was going to fail. No one believed in Tesla. No one believed in Elon Musk. And now look at how the shift in thinking has just completely completely done a 180 especially in the, over the last year so we'd love to know you know if you have any interesting insights from having exposure to Elon i think one of the most impactful things he said uh, that it, that impacted me personally was if you're not failing you're not being innovative enough 
that was, and I know it's not just me. I know other people have, you know, heard him say that and it's really changed. You know, there was, there was this, uh, always this saying failure is not an option. And for Elon to say, again, you know, it's giving per- people permission to fail. If it, it, uh, Caveat, uh, you know, as long as you're learning from that, you're, you're correcting and you're getting better as a result. But, you know, f- failure is an option. If you're not failing, you're, you're not being innovative enough. You're, you're, you're not doing enough. So I thought for me that that was really impactful. That was probably one of the biggest takeaways of, you know, something that, you know, Elon said that's really stuck with me. And so you were at Tesla for 10, just about 10 years. Obviously, when you started out, as you pointed out, it was early days. Did you ever think, man, I'm not sure this is going to work? I mean, or did you know early on that it was going to work? I'm curious, just your own emotional state. You're you're human too, right? You, you, you can't help but hear all this negative press or all these haters and all this stuff. Like, how do you block that out? One. And then two, did it ever occur to you that maybe it's not going to work? You know, I'd I'd be lying if I said there weren't times where, you know, we all contemplated that option uh, that things were, there there were some really grim moments, but no, there was this, uh, you know, this underlying drive, you know, the mission was just so incredible. It was epic. You know, it, it was, it was to literally change the world to revolutionize this industry. And, uh, you know, when you've got that purpose behind you, um, you're, you're going to do everything in your power as long as it's legal and ethical, <laughs> you're going to do whatever it takes. And, and I, I can remember the team, you know, working, there were long stretches of time where we, we were working seven days a week. And, you know, of course, 15 hour days where it seemed like the norm to pull it off. It's that level of, uh, you know, dedication to a mission, maybe few people see in their lifetime. Of course, there, there were those times, but what, what got us through was um, the mission, the, the purpose of why we were there and what, what we were making happen. Yeah. And you, you talk about people and, and people that have a mission to stand behind and to really believe in, and that purpose drives them in exceptional ways. And I saw it firsthand, just like you, clearly not not as long and, and not not in the critical early days. And I just applaud you and all of the team members that helped to make it happen. One other thing to note, and I, I talk about this in some of my posts, I worked hard at Tesla, but I didn't work nearly as hard or as committed as the team of people, the human beings that made those vehicles. I get chills talking about it. And I really mean this because Look, I had a corporate job. I'm not going to like try to make it seem anything that it wasn't. Yeah, I, I had some long days into quarter. I remember I left to the de- delivery hub at like four in the morning and I did my last delivery at like 2 a.m. After the, after the midnight. And that was a lot of work. That was hard, but that was the exception, not the rule. And so I say this because you should, and I hope that anyone listening that knows you and that was a part and is a part of the incredible mission you should be applauded for the work that you do and did to help make Tesla successful because you're right. And having, you know, I was uh, involved with orientation and onboarding. And so, you know, we, we had, you know, some crossover, some of your team members work to help make that orientation shine and that onboarding with launch be what it was. But I always remember that 90% or 80% of the people in that room, they're going to go work 12, 13, 14, 15 hour days six, seven days a week. And that is a sacrifice. It's a compromise. It's, it's they're, they're compromising something else in their life as a result. And 
It's not always easy to do and it should be applauded because I'll tell you what, man, the company would not be where it is today if it weren't for the incredible human beings that helped to make the company what it is. So thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. So let, let's dive in to Lucid. You, you transitioned away from Tesla and you joined another just amazing company, a, a company that's up and coming, that's doing some incredible things. We'd love to find out what inspired you to join Lucid Motors and how has it been going and what insights have you had while you're there? I joined Lucid for a number of reasons. First of all, the people that work there are nothing short of brilliant. The technology is better than anything in the industry and the product, uh, the, the, the product is amazing. But what really excited me was the fact that I was being tasked with creating the Lucid production system basically creating you know the infrastructure for production operations the what and how for running manufacturing and you know that that challenge really struck me because uh you know you think about the Toyota production system you know and it, it it's so famous it's you know it's known by the acronym TPS right now TPS yeah, sure and now you know uh, they're 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 asking me to okay go go create the the lucid production system you know it's a, it, it's a little right. intimidating so so where do you start Big responsibility. Big right? responsibility, but so exciting. You know, you talk about probably, you know, uh, one of the biggest challenges of my career. So for me, I I really had to start by understanding the company's mission and, and their vision. And I think, and even more important, the core values of the company. And the thought there, Billy, was that every everything we do uh, should directly tie back to our value, our, our values, you know, the, the principles, the things we, we truly b- believe in, like passion collaboration, open and honest communication, em- empowerment. E- every program and every project, every, every policy and procedure should be designed to help nurture this company and culture that we're building. Okay, so next, you know, I, know I, I need 100% alignment on our management principles. And that entailed uh, a lot of one-on-ones with the senior leadership team to understand them, their leadership style, and, and get a get a sense of what their priorities were. And the next step, this is where I gained the most insight. It was collaborating with this, this diverse team of leaders to build the elements that would, you know, it comprise this lucid production system. And I had always believed that you get the best results on any project when you have a diverse team of contributors, people from different backgrounds and different, different viewpoints. And But working directly with these experts that were coming from different backgrounds, coming from different companies and different countries was incredibly insightful. You can imagine all of the different viewpoints I got to hear. So many highly skilled people sharing their lessons learned and best practices that they've seen from, from decades of experience. You might also imagine you know, the constructive conflicts we had to navigate through <laughs> to get the best result. Because here's the thing, you know, when there's a differing of opinions, you'll often see me smiling in the meeting if I, if I hear uh, you know, people start to, I don't want to say argue, but, you know, express their opinions back and forth. It, it makes me smile. Yeah. I, I love that. I, you know, to me, that's, that's this constructive conflict. It's a great thing to have. It's, it's much easier to manage, uh, you know, when the, when the entire team has aligned up front on, on what our purpose and values Knowing are. Knowing that, you know, we're going we're gonna to work through this. We're going to come up with the, the very best result. So, so my advice is to include uh, you know as diverse a group as as you can a, a diverse group of subject matter experts in in your projects invest some time up front to align with the team 
and then invite those differing views along the way. Be prepared to navigate those differences so you land on something really special. And, and in this case, it's, uh, it's the Lucid production system. Yeah, I think having a diverse set of viewpoints, experiences, avoiding it being homogenous and, and making sure that it's not just a single viewpoint or where people are afraid to share their viewpoint because it's amazing what you're going to get when you have that cross-section of input and feedback. It's going to be a far greater result. And I love that it's a purpose-driven company while absolutely critically focused on the core values, right? You talked about open and honest communication. That is something that, you know, I love that just hearing those, the core values of empowerment, right? Everything that you said, I'm like, wow, those, those resonate with me. And I'm certain that it resonates with the team members at Lucid. And, and, and what I'll say is being involved in manufacturing. So it's a world that I honestly don't know. Okay. Cause I, I've been in sales. I've been in leadership. I've been in L and D, but I have not been on the factory floor with the exception of, of, of going on many, many tours at my time at Tesla, probably more than most. I've probably been 10 times, um, which, you know, compared to somebody that works on the floor, that's not, that's nothing. But what I realized is it is, it's honestly, it is like, how do I describe it? It's, you, you can't describe it. The, being on a manufacturing floor where all of these moving parts are going places and machines are operating I mean, words can't describe how incredible it is to see all of these various structures, processes, and people and machines working together in harmony to create these incredible vehicles and to be involved in that process and to be involved in a way that we're going to make sure that there's quality. You're going to make sure that it's done efficiently and all the while not forgetting that you're a values-based company and that you're not going to compromise on those things. Man, I could see why you're excited about what, what's happening at Lucid. And thank you for sharing everything that you've shared. We're, we're going to get into the lightning round because your career has been so incredible. And I'm sure everyone listening has gotten tons of insights. So let's end with these quick hitting questions that I'm just going to ask you a question. Just give me your gut response, your gut reaction. And we'll start with this one. What excites you? Providing people with a great career and a great place to work. It's, it's very exciting to talk to employees, hear how they're enjoying their jobs, and even more exciting to, to catch people smiling at certain moments as you walk around. I, I, I say this a lot at Lucid. It's fulfilling, isn't it? I mean, to, to have an impact on other human beings, especially when it comes to their livelihood, is so gratifying. Okay, number two, what scares you? Oh, politics scare me, but specifically in the workplace, it, it always scares me. I I feel as if politics are, it's a result of people that have their, their own best interest in mind, not the interest of the team or the company. Office politics are very disruptive and, and go against my core values. Yeah. My last guest talked about gossip specifically. And one of the insights that he talked about was just remember that if somebody's gossiping about somebody else, like they're, they're not there to defend themselves, protect those people, protect the people that aren't there. And then guess what? People are going to see you model that behavior and they're not going to gossip. They're not going to gossip. Okay. What surprises you? I'm very surprised by people that don't like dogs. Uh, come on. Uh, how, could, <laughs> how could anyone not love dogs? I know it's a silly answer, but hey, it's true. I'm always surprised when someone says they don't like dogs. Obviously, I'm, I'm a dog guy. <laughs> what kind of dog? Do you, do you have a dog yourself? I have a 15-year-old boxer German Shepherd mix and, uh, oh, nice. uh, he, and I, he's amazing. Yeah. 
I love both those breeds. <laughs> I have a German Shepherd lab mix and we were considering a boxer. So they're, they're great breeds. Okay. So you've recommended some books to me in the past and great, phenomenal recommendations. In curious, what book have you recommended more than any other book and why? I have given this book away many times. Start With Why by Simon Sinek. The reason why it completely changed the way I frame conversations. You know, we often know why we're doing things, why we're asking for things from other people, but but expressing, articulating the why, starting with why is incredibly effective, whether it's in emails, face-to-face com- meetings, w- whatever the venue, and, and starting with why during a, even initial project planning always helps to create alignment and focus. It always results in the very best products. I love it. Yeah. Fantastic book. He's got some great ones. Eaters eat, la- uh, Leaders eat last. And you know, finding your why, start with why. All of these books, they have such an impact on people because, you know, the concepts, they're so, on one hand, they're they're very simple. On another hand, they're very deep and profound. And therefore, they are sticky and people can remember and it resonates with them. And it has a huge and lasting impact on, on millions of people as a result. So let's move in. Speaking of inspiration, who's been the most inspirational person in your life and why? It, it would be my wife. Um, you know, like me, she came from very humble beginnings. Uh, so to, to see how well she's done in her career is very inspirational to me. She's also helped build my confidence o- over the 15 years we've been married. The confidence and inspiration that she gives me, I feel has been very instrumental in pursuing and taking on bigger roles in my career. Oh, isn't that great? When you have a significant other, a spouse to support you, believe in you, give you the confidence, put wind in your sails. Nothing is going to beat that because they're the person that you really, ultimately, you need them to give you that extra confidence. And I love that you use that word. Keith, if you could spend one hour with anyone living or dead, who would it be and why? You know, my mind races to comedians. I I, I love to laugh and I really appreciate people that are naturally funny. Sometimes life can get too serious, you know. So one of my favorite things to do is to go to comedy clubs, watch funny movies. So take your pick. You know, if I were going to spend an hour uh, with with any one of them, you know, um, Seth Rogen, T.J. Miller, Melissa McCarthy, Dave Chappelle, Will Ferrell, Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, it, it would be whichever one would be available and, wi- <laughs> and and willing to hang out with me for an hour. Uh, I love it. Let's just do a, a dinner party and <laughs> yeah. invite them. Invite them all. That's fantastic, man. Good answer. No one's ever said that one before. Okay. If you had a chance, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? I wouldn't say too much to my 20-year-old self. You know, I think about the the butterfly effect. Like I might alter, oh, uh, you know, totally. my whole existence, the universe by saying- Sliding doors, right? It's like you change <laughs> yeah. one thing. You didn't apply for that Toyota. Where would you be? Right, what would right. you be doing? I mean, like, man, you have a place in history, Keith. I don't know if you really truly realize that you really have a place in history. Oh, well, you well. were involved in Toyota. I mean, think about this. Like Toyota, even though Toyota has been around since 1937, it wasn't until the 50s that this process was invented. And then you ultimately, when you joined the company, you know, 20, what, 27 years ago, you know, it was still ultimately new relative to humanity. It was still a new process. And so you took that process and you learned it, you applied it firsthand yourself, and then you helped other people learn it. And you had all these rich experiences there. And then you took those experiences, you took that knowledge, you applied it to the most revolutionary automaker of our our time, probably one of the most revolutionary companies in history and the most visionary person and leader in Elon Musk. 
and you helped to make that company successful. And now you're doing it all over again with Lucid. So man, just you are a historical person, man. And I love that. So do you have any regrets in life? And if so, what are they? You know, I've, I've made tons of mistakes in my life, including some, some really big ones. But I, I honestly don't have any regrets because, uh, you know, again, all my experiences and the choices uh, that I've made, even the bad ones, made me who I am. I do reflect a lot and wonder how I could have handled situations better. But I think reflection is much different than regret. And I, I think it's a lot healthier. Yeah. I mean, look, man, you said it. It's, oftentimes we look back and think about a conversation we had or a way we acted towards somebody or a way we treated somebody. And we may, if we do them over again, we could do them differently. But ultimately, I, I very much live my life in the way you're describing, which is without regret and learning and growing and being who we are today as a result of all of our experiences. So we talked about inspiration, but we didn't talk necessarily about mentors. Who is or who was your biggest mentor and what did you learn from them? I have been very fortunate to work with great mentors. Uh, my, my former boss, Jaber Passan, he's the CEO of Rightspeed. He's the former vice president of manufacturing at Tesla, taught me how to structure and manage multiple teams globally. It, it's challenging enough, you know, managing team that you can interface with directly on a daily basis, but managing teams across multiple sites, states and countries uh, requires structuring your team effectively, creating the right type of cadence for communication and reporting. And it's, it's something that Schubert does, does very well. My, my current boss, Peter Hockholdinger, is the vice president of manufacturing at Lucid. And he, he was also a former vice president of manufacturing at Tesla. He teaches me how to pick and choose my battles. So, sometimes your passion can lead to frustration when you're challenged with, uh, you know, generating the right amount of momentum behind an initiative. Um, understanding when to continue to push and when to maybe pause, rethink your approach. It's very important. And, and it's something he's taught me very, very well. That's uh, sage advice right there. And, you know, I think we're all guilty from time to time of trying to pick too many battles when ultimately the end result is it's not going to add enough value to make the battle worth the fight. So you've achieved a lot tons to be proud of. What achievement stands out more than any other that you're most proud of? You mentioned some, I mean, I'm proud of uh, having worked for the two most valuable car manufacturers in the world, uh, Toyota and Tesla. Uh, I'm very proud of, uh, you know, the part that, that my team had in, in, in building Tesla. And I'm proud to be a part of the team creating the Lucid production system, which is, you know, this, this purposeful approach to production, strong focus on our people, and, and a unique approach to applying lean principles in a, in a very fast-moving industry. Yeah, no, and you should be proud of all those things. So, you know, we've learned so much about you, Keith. Curious what may surprise the audience that we haven't yet learned about you. I think people would be surprised to know that I'm very much an introvert. Uh, you know, despite people, you know, seeing me speaking to large audiences and working with big groups, in, in social settings, I tend to avoid larger crowds. I'm also one of those people who typically needs needs time to collect my thoughts before speaking. I, I think people may be surprised to hear that about me. Yeah, no, and I don't think your your story is unique or unusual. I think there are a lot of people who whose natural tendency is to be a bit more introverted. Maybe they're not the the type that likes you know large groups or immediately wants to talk off the cuff, but you thrive better, maybe either on a one-on-one situation, or if you're prepared, you're able to articulate your thoughts and prepare in a way that you're able to share them more comfortably. And I, I think I'm sure there's somebody listening that resonates with that. And we're all unique and different. You know, I, I, I tend to speak off the cuff, but often I also relate to what you're talking about. The more prepared I am, 
the more comfortable and confident I'll be when I'm delivering something, especially if it's uh, to a large audience. So last question, it's very open-ended and this can just apply to anything, man. What else, anything you want to share with the audience, the audience being somebody that's hungry for knowledge, looking to advance in their career. It could be a leader, a CEO, a founder. It could be somebody just starting a startup. It could be somebody starting their career. What else would you like to share with the audience to, to close out the show? Yeah. I, well, first of all, let me say, you know, I, I, I love your podcast, Billy. Uh, I, I hope that the audience can take something away to help them be more successful. So I, I, I did want to thank you for providing this amazing platform. I, I think it's really great that people can share their insights and even better that others can learn from those insights or even just validate, you know, some, some, some of their own insights. But yeah, just I, I may, maybe just summarizing some of the things uh, uh, we talked about today, um, you know, focusing on making improvements that help other people using this this blank page approach when when you're trying to fix or develop you know something new the importance of engaging your workforce and uh, you know valuing diversity and managing constructive conflict I think those are maybe some of the big takeaways and finally I, I want to give a, a very sincere thank you to the listeners for for spending this time together so thank you yeah and thank you it's just been a joy I was so excited that you said yes to being on the show and even more excited as I got to learn more about you and talk with you throughout this journey. I value our friendship and I'm so grateful that we had a chance to meet each other at Tesla and that we're continuing to have a dialogue and I'm continuing to learn from you and your experiences. I just thank the world of you and I'm so grateful for you being on Inside Out. Thank you so much, Billy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out. Oh, my God.